Welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, your source for learning more about fly fishing in cold water, warm water, and salt water. Hello, I'm Roger Maves. And I'm Don Bishop. We're your hosts for Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. On this broadcast, we'll be featuring Mark Benam, and he'll be answering your most important questions on fly fishing the tailwaters of the North Platte River in Wyoming. This show will be 90 minutes in length, and we're broadcasting live over the Internet. If you'd like to ask Mark a question, go to our homepage, askaboutflyfishing.com, click on the link below the description of the show that says click here to ask Mark your most important question. We'll receive your questions promptly, and we'll be trying to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. This broadcast is being recorded and will be available for playback on our website about 12 hours after the show ends. So if you have to leave early, you can return to our website at your convenience and listen to the broadcast at any time. The content of this broadcast is being copyrighted and is the property of the Knowledge Group, Inc. Recordings or transcriptions of the show cannot be distributed or sold in any form. When we return, we'll be talking with Mark Benam about Wyoming's North Platte River. New from the Winston Rod Company for 2007, Boron 2T Rods, new technology, traditional feel. This series combines the feel of our traditional action rods with the lightness and responsiveness of our latest technology. These rods offer the ultimate and delicate presentation while still retaining a good measure of power and reserve thanks to the dynamic properties of our Boron 2 technology. These four-piece rods are available in three through five weight and retail for $625. They're designed and crafted at the Winston Shop in Twin Bridges, Montana, and feature the traditional Winston green finish and Winston unconditional lifetime warranty. Cast the new Winston Boron 2T at the best place possible, your local specialty fly shop. Well, before we introduce Mark, we'd like to let you know about the great gifts we have to give away tonight. For our drawing tonight, uh, Mark has been kind enough to offer one of his Cliff Outdoors fly boxes loaded with his personal fly patterns. These are patterns that he's designed and, and work uh, best on the North Platte River, but may also work in the waters near you. We're also going to be giving away a one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine and a three-year membership to the Federation of Fly Fishers. So you have three chances to win tonight, so stick with us. Now, if you haven't registered for the drawing, you can do so now. Just go to our homepage, which is at askaboutflyfishing.com, and look for the link under Mark section that says click here to register for our drawing. Click on that link, fill out the form, and we'll announce the winners at the end of the show. Our guest tonight is Mark Bonham, owner of the Platte River Fly Shop in Casper, Wyoming. Mark's shop guides some 700 trips each year on the trophy waters of the North Platte River near Casper. Mark grew up fishing since he was in diapers in New England, and he was introduced to fly fishing in college in Wisconsin in the 1970s. He received a bachelor's degree in fisheries biology from the University of Wyoming in 1981, and then worked several years in the range department of the U.S. Forest Service. Subsequently, he migrated to Casper, where he guided fly fishers part-time on the Platte River, and then in 1994, he and a partner opened the Platte River Fly Shop where Mark is now the sole owner. This fly shop offers full service, enjoys a marvelous reputation, and has an active internet sales component on their comprehensive website, wyomingflyfishing.com. Mark Benam is not just a trout chaser. He's been a particular devotee of the carp fishing experience, and his flat boat is frequently seen plying Wyoming waters for the so-called golden ghost. He also hosts 
fishing trips into Canada, as well as saltwater excursions to such sites as Costa Rica, Belize, and Baja. He's a frequently sought speaker on the subject of the North Platte, and he has appeared on outdoor shows on ESPN, PBS, and Columbia Country. He's also an innovative fly tire, and his patterns for trout and carp have been highlighted in books and fly fishing magazine articles and are well known in the Rockies. On one of our recent shows, we explored the South Platte River in Colorado, and now Mark Benam will be answering your most important questions about a very special stretch of the North Platte River in Wyoming. Mark, welcome to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio. Well, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Well, we, uh, we, we look forward to the show with you tonight. Mark, tell us, didn't you just win something down south? Brag <laughs> a little bit here. I uh, was in the Stuart Sailfish Tournament in Costa Rica, and my partner and I won first. That's not bad. Yeah, <laughs> Can't do much well, better than that, can you? <laughs> no, no. I was lucky enough during the practice to uh, hook a blue marlin in world record size. They estimated about 350 pounds, which I fought for four and a half hours. Oh and that was on an IGFA 20-pound class tippet. But we parted ways. Parted ways, huh? Yeah. Well, how big was the fish you, you did uh, win with? Uh, we we landed the five total of five sailfish to uh, take first place. Oh, it's a uh, yeah. combination of the, the fish. I see. Okay. Yeah. The sailfish down there typically run 80 to uh, uh, 110 pounds on the average. A, a big one's, uh, you know, 120, 125, but uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. Well, back back to Wyoming here, right? Yeah, <laughs> Well, um, Mark, to, to start off with, uh, the area that we're talking about tonight or focusing on primarily is uh, Gray Reef, Miracle Mile area, and what, Fremont Canyon, right? Cor correct. Now tell us in, where in Wyoming is this for those folks that, that live in Pennsylvania or Florida? Well, the, the North Platte actually originates in Colorado in the North Park area around Walden, and then it flows north out of Colorado, and uh, which is freestone until it hits the first... Uh, impoundment uh, reservoir which is Seminole and then below Seminole you have the Miracle Mile and then we have Pathfinder Reservoir and below that and then we have Alcova Reservoir and that's where Gray Reef starts which is getting the most notor notoriety right now so um, from Casper it turns east and, and then it flows towards Nebraska so that's that's kind of how the, the river starts and where it ends up then eventually it dumps into the Missouri, so that's that's the about about uh, below Casper the the water does get a little warm and uh, just find carp and the trout numbers go way down, so it just kind of kind of loses its uh, temperature or gains in temperature, so we lose the trout population. Do you do you pick up any smallmouth as you get further down or no no, no? Um, there are some walleye and uh, channel catfish as we get a little further down where it's you know water. Temperatures are a little higher, so, but uh, they're kind of kind of worried about introducing uh, species like smallmouth that might, uh, you know, either make it upriver and interfere with the trout population. So, yeah, the Wyoming game fish is pretty pretty good at controlling what what they have. So, uh, Roger, we might mention to the audience that uh, you've put up some uh, links that they can uh, touch on some maps that refer to these areas that Mark will be discussing tonight. Right there. Um, if, if folks want to go to Mark's speakers page, which you can get to from the home page of our site, where it says 
in Mark's section there, it says more about Mark Banam. If you go to that page at the bottom, you'll find links to a map, and that will, will show the area that we're going to end up focusing on here uh, as we go through tonight. Uh, well, Mark, Nathan up in uh, Alberta is wondering what uh, species of trout we're going to be targeting on, on your section of the North Platte, and then everybody wants to know what's the best time of year to get there. Of course, of course. Um, well, let's, let's back up. If we go back to the freestone sections, you're gonna, and basically all the sections that we're going to talk about, you're going to find rainbow, brown, cutthroat, and in the, in the freestone section, the upper plat, uh, is, you find a few brookies that come in through, you know, the uh, drainages. But uh, once we hit the tailwaters, we kind of lose the brookies. And you can find carp throughout the whole uh, North Platte drainage um, in the coarse suckers. But uh, the average size on the gray reef section right now is running 16 to 20 inches, and they're about 2 pounds. Um, typical big tailwater fish with big shoulders and uh, fight really hard. Um, the freestone section up by Saratoga there, and I might mention that the, there, there is a shop down there in Saratoga. It's called Stony Creek Outfitters, and, and they're going to give the best information on that section of the river as we don't go that far south. It's about two and a half hours from us. But uh, as we get, come on back up to Gray Reef, uh, we typically catch mostly rainbows, uh, a lot of cut bows, and we do have uh, some browns and some cutthroats. But primarily, it's uh, rainbows. So, but uh, they're big shoulders. They give a good fight, and we use three X tippet, and they can still break that on us. So that that shows you how hard they do fight. Wow, that's impressive. Um, a couple of folks, uh, Royce up in Washington State, and Brian down in Gladwin Springs, Colorado, were wondering if you could compare the nature of the waters, uh, say, on, on the Miracle Mile versus Gray Reef. Right. They've both had experience with one or the other. Well, uh, the Miracle Mile, one advantage to that section of the river, it, it is all public. So you have full public access to the Miracle Mile on both sides of the river. That's kind of nice. The down, downfall on the mile right now, it has gone downhill over the last 10 years. It's not like it was back in its heyday, um, mostly due to the drought, I believe. The, the, you know, the fish just don't have a... A reservoir that's full to go back down to 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 rest and uh, feed on you know minnows and whatnot. So their size is down. But uh, just talk to the game and fish, and uh, the numbers are back up to almost 2,500 uh, fish per mile. But the the pounds per mile is only at 13.28. Comparing that to Gray Reef, we're looking at about 2,500 fish per mile with 4,000 pounds per mile. So you can see a big difference in size. Yeah almost double but I, I expect the, the mile to once the we're out of this drought cycle um, and the reservoirs fill up and the trout are able to, to find you know forage in the lake and get big again it's about five years after the droughts over I expect the mile to really explode so just got to kind of watch that and watch the drought and uh, I think it will come back once once the uh, drought cycle is over when you said um, that they have no place to go from the miracle mile now, there's a reservoir downstream from there, but they can't get to that, or is that? Yes, they can get into. They, yeah, correct. Uh, the Miracle Mile flows into Pathfinder Reservoir, and the trout are able to to uh, migrate up and back into the reservoir. So um, the Miracle Mile is really known for its uh, fall run of browns, which run up out of that reservoir. But like I said, uh, you know the. Uh, 
I, the way I look at it, the, the lake's getting a rest right now. Once it raises back up, if you if you go out to the lake right now and you, you look where the, the water line should be, there's lots of cotton, little baby cottonwoods and willows. So once that water gets back up into those those uh, trees and whatnot, the minnows are going to explode because they'll have some structure. And then, uh, of course, the, the trout and walleye are going to have a lot more forage. So. Oh, so it's not that they can't get to us, it's just that the conditions in the and the reservoir and itself the, uh, aren't cover- good. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And yeah. That's where a lot of those big browns live during the summer, then they migrate up in the fall. And uh, and since the forage is down in, the, in that lake, that's one reason I believe the size has gone down quite a bit, and, and the numbers. Now, have, have the reservoirs not come up this year with all the snow we've had in the... No, and in fact, right now, the, the North Park area, which is the beginning of our drainage down in Colorado, they're only at about 80%, and that's about where we've been for the last four or five years. Uh. We just can't gain, it seems like, so trying to do the snow dance around here to get some get some <laughs> snowpack, but it's just, uh, we've been in about a 10-year cycle right now of, of very harsh, uh, low snow conditions, so. Before we talk more specifically about... Um uh, the tailwaters. That area that you mentioned, the Freestone area, I think you said Saratoga area? Correct. Um, now that's an area that people can, can canoe or, I don't know, can they drift boat, uh, use drift boats up there? But I know they can canoe one thing, it. One thing you want to remember about Freestone sections of any river is you're going to have runoff, whereas uh, we're tailwaters, um, it's all controlled by the dam. So uh, typically the runoff down there on that section is going to be Mayish, you know, in May, and and they have to run rafts, and because it's just, uh, it's got white water and boulders, and um, certain flows they do run canoes and a few drift boats, but it, there's a lot. It's boulder strewn and water, so it's tough to run a, a, a hard-sided boat through that country down there. And so they mostly run rafts. Okay. And uh, but that's one thing to remember about that section. And like I said, they can contact Stony Creek Outfitters and kind of get an idea when the runoff will be down in that area. So you're more at the mercy of Mother Nature there than you are in the tailwaters. Correct. Yeah, yeah correct. Tail, that's one nice thing about tailwaters. It's all controlled. So uh, I think that's one reason the fish get a little bit bigger. And uh, But unfortunately, we don't get as much dry fly fishing as you do on freestone sections. But... Uh, but you know, this I would just contact them, and and, and one of the major hatches down there that's fun to fish is towards the end of June in that area, both on the the North Platte and the encampment, which feeds into the North Platte, is the uh, Green Drake Hatch, which we don't have here, so that's one of their more popular hatches. So you have basically tailwaters at both the Miracle Mile and the Gray Reef. What uh, is the Miracle Mile just a mile long, or? What, what are the lengths of these two sections of the river? Um, the Miracle Mile, when the lake is full, is, is actually eight miles long. Uh, it doesn't <laughs> correspond to its name, but uh, and just to give you an idea of how low the lake is, it's about 18 miles long with the drought. So my gosh, yeah. So it's it's way down, and uh, but um, yeah, I don't know how it got its name, the Miracle Mile. But uh, when it when the lake is full, it's about eight miles. Uh huh. And uh, well, what, yeah. One other thing to remember about the Miracle Mile, um, it fishes well, I feel, during the fall and winter months and spring months. And then uh, during the summer months when people turn on their air conditioners, they do fluctuate that water a lot more down there compared to Gray Reef. So about 10 o'clock in the morning, the water levels rise, and it kind of puts the trout off. And 
and you just have to wait till the evening hours when it goes back down. Um, compared to Gray Reef, which is consistent flows, uh, they do raise it in May for irrigation water to Nebraska, but once they raise it up to, say, 2200, it stays at that level. It doesn't fluctuate. So you're not at the mercy of fluctuating water, you know, making the trout feed or not. Okay, and then does the nature of the river change uh, from the Gray Reef section as you get down toward Casper? Um, it does, um, mainly in, in the fact that since there's nutrients coming out of the dam and there's more agriculture going on around the upper sections, um, the, the weed growth in those areas tends to really take off in July and August. So towards fall, we tend to move downriver where the nutrients are used up and there's less weeds. That's the main thing I would say how it would change and, and structure. Um, there are, I, I feel, more ripples and runs in the lower sections. But there again, if we get rain or snow melt, the lower sections do get a little dirtier quicker than the upper sections do. Are there more creeks feeding in from the side yeah, channels? Well, we get... don't have a, any creeks that really co constantly feed. We have uh, drainages that come in from the, the prairie and the sagebrush valleys that, you know, if we get a major rainstorm, um, they will feed into the river and, and cloud it up. But it, it usually clears up within a day or two after a major storm. But um, So the lower sections tend to stay a little dirtier, you know, than the upper sec the upper nine miles. And that, when you say the upper nine miles goes, we're talking from Alcova to? Yeah, uh, the first takeout. Uh, basically, the first section of the river that everybody floats is what we call Gray Reef to Lusby, and that's nine miles. And there, there's a couple of feeder streams that come in there, or, or drainages, I should say, not streams, that will get it dirty. But uh, it doesn't happen very often because we are high desert here. We don't get a whole lot of moisture. But... Uh, when it does happen, I try to post it as fast as I can on my website so that people are aware of it. Then the second the second is uh, people put in at Lusby and, and go down from there? Yeah, from Lusby to the next takeout is three miles, and, and it's a real familiar landmark. It's the only bridge that you cross the North Platte, leaving Casper out to Gray Reef, and we call that Government Bridge. So that's a nice little half-day float from uh, Lusby to Government Bridge. It's only about three or four miles. And then from there on down, the next section is 12 miles. So we've got four or five sections that, from Gray Reef to Casper that we float on a regular basis uh, that you can either do half-day, full-day, or three-quarter day um, floats, depending on the water flows. About 60, miles, about 60 miles a river. Okay, okay. Let's, uh, let's take a brief break here, and uh, when we come back, uh, Mark, I'd like to talk just a little bit about the uh, water access or water rights on the Gray Reef right. section. Okay. Uh, when we return, we'll be talking more with Mark Benam about the North Platte River and how he fishes it. Women's Fly Fishing in Alaska is owned and operated by well-known female guide Pudge Kleinkoff. Women's Fly Fishing offers several lodge-based fly fishing schools for women, as well as an array of small group guided trips for women and couples to some of Alaska's best-known waters for salmon, rainbow trout, arctic grayling, and char. Pudge also leads saltwater fly fishing groups to Mexico each spring. Beginners are welcome and equipment is provided. Learn more about fly fishing for women at www.womensflyfishing.net. 
That's www.womensflyfishing.net or email them at pudge at womensflyfishing.net or call them at 907-274-7113. That's 907-274-7113. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Mark Benam about fly fishing Wyoming's North Platte River. If you'd like to ask Mark a question, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Click on the link below the description of the show that says click here to ask Mark your most important question. We'll receive your questions promptly, and we'll be trying to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Well, Mark, uh, you've got a, a busy fly shop there in Casper, and your, uh, your guides uh, lead a lot of tours. Tell us a little bit about your operation. Um, we do, like you said earlier, we do do about 700 trips a year. Um, um, we basically will adjust our trips to, you know, the the, uh, the fly fisherman's skill level. Um, some people don't mind going up in the upper section fighting crowds, and some people just want a, a nice day away from the crowds and just catch, you know, they don't care really about the size, so we can adjust the trip to get you away from the crowds if we need to and if you, if you, if you like that. Um, because we, we do have great populations all the way down to Casper, so we can adjust the trip to their needs and what they want. And, uh, and it's kind of a neat river in that aspect. And we do cater to beginners all the way up to the advanced fly fishermen in groups. Um, and then, uh, like you mentioned earlier, we also do come July and August when the river gets a little warm and weedy, we, we try to, to do our conservation and leave the trout alone, and then we start chasing the carp out on the reservoirs. And uh, it's kind of fun, if, especially if you want to get ready for uh, um, a bonefish or a redfish trip. It's re- very similar to redfish, and we're sight casting to tailing carp, and uh, sometimes we can even catch them on dry, so it's kind of fun. Yeah. Well, now, you, you have a busy Internet uh, site and uh, very comprehensive, I might add, and also quite a busy uh, shopping area on that site. Why don't you give them that, uh, that uh, website? It, uh, our website is wyomingflyfishing.com, all one word. And um, I was fortunate enough to see that technology and, and the avid consumer was changing their uh, shopping methods and starting to shop online and calling us for orders. So I... Uh, and I also noticed I was shopping for my wife online for Christmas, and I kind of put the two together, and a little red light went off in my head about two years ago. And uh, I wanted to build a site that was not only just for shopping, but that was full of information and, and conservation issues and articles. And we continue to try to grow that. You know, we, we just want a full, comprehensive fly fishing site. And, I, you know, as technology keeps growing, uh, unfortunately, I think the little fly shop on the corner is kind of going away with the the big box companies and the online shopping and uh, we still try to give you know even our online shoppers the best customer service that we can sure well that's uh it's certainly a fine website that you've got well let's let's get back to the river and uh could okay. you explain a little bit to us the you mentioned that the miracle mile section's public uh, how about the the gray reef section and down toward casper right it gets a little bit um, more uh technical as you get into the gray reef section as far as access. In Wyoming, the landowner actually owns the bottom of the river, but the, but the, wa- the actual water is public. So 
we get into a private land area, you're not allowed to anchor or get out of the boat unless you have permission. So um, we do have permits on all the public land and, and some permission on some private land. But most of the fix, fishing, actually, believe it or not, is done out of the boat. The best fishing, I believe, is done out of the boat versus wade fishing like you do on the bighorn and whatnot. Um, these fish seem to stay down in the deeper runs, four to five feet. Um, but when the water's down at 500 CFS during the winter months from uh, September through May, uh, the weight fishing is good and there's lots of access. There's actually one section of the river where there's eight miles of access for folks to, uh, to either drive or walk to. So there's, there's plenty of uh, walking access. Um, but I still believe the best fishing is done out of the boat because you can you can get in these runs and uh, go through them four, four and five times, and, and and my guides know exactly where the, the lines that the fish are holding in, and, and and try to get the the clients right on right on those lines. Do you have have your guides marked those on the river for people like us? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, come on, you know. <laughs> when you do seven hundred trips, it kind of becomes a, a habit. <laughs> It does change quite a bit from 500 CFS and, and during those winter months, and then uh, once they raise that water in May, it does get a little more difficult for the average wade fisherman. Um, I notice a lot of wade fishermen wade, trying to wade out and fish the same spots they were fishing at 500 CFS, and they actually ought to be turning around and fishing where they just waded through. Right. Because it does does push these fish out to the edges, and uh, and the, so there is the, the wading does become more difficult in those. Those good spots where you can wait, get uh, got to get there early, bring your own rock type thing. But uh, so once they do raise the water in May, uh, it's definitely advantageous to uh, you know, come down in a boat. And uh, and I and I might mention I do see people. You can use pontoon boats, canoes, and float tubes. The one thing to remember here is we do have wind, and, and once you're on that water, if we get a north wind, for example, it's very tough to get down the river. So. The best, the best watercraft we have that we can fish out of is the, the, the hard-sided drift boat, low profile. You, you had just mentioned the, the weightable section, a long section. Is that start at Lusby? Um, basically, right below the dam, um, you have about 500 yards of uh, really good fishing. You are allowed to fish right next to, to the dam. It's not blocked off because of 9-11 like some other dams. Um, but they are working right now. The Conservation Fund has just bought a piece of private property, and it's not public yet. And I can't tell when it's going to be public. We're figuring about three more months when the Bureau uh, or the BLM can purchase that from the Conservation Fund. So on the on the north side of the river, we will have a, maybe about a mile of access from the dam down, which will really help the pressure spread out a little bit. I'm looking on a map here where it's marked as public down by Lusby, a long, long section. Right. And that's why I was asking about that, if, if that's yeah. accessible. Now, when you drive into Lusby, which is the next takeout, there is a, a good two to three miles on that, uh, I guess we could call it the east side of the river there because of the way it's flowing. Um, of the access, um, I, I would tell folks that you do have to park in the parking area, and then you can walk to those access points. And uh, so you have, got, you have a good little chunk there, too. So, like, you know, there, there's plenty of access if people are willing to, to look for it and get to it by a car or foot. So, One, one other question um, about that public versus private. 
uh, I've heard some kind of scary stories about landowners and you know yeah. people not knowing what they're doing on the river and so forth. How how real is that, or, or what what's the realistic well, picture? Well, I will tell you the the river is signed with blue and red signs. The blue sign is public. The red sign is private. So once you get to access a public area with the blue sign, you can walk and fish or float and fish until you hit the next red sign. And each side of the river can be different. The, the middle of the main channel is, is the boundary for each side of the river. So it is very well signed. So folks that are coming for the first time, uh, it's, if, they, you know, if they take the time to read the rules, which they should, um, they will see those signs. It's very obvious. And uh, um, the fact that, you know, that they do hand out tickets. There are landowners out there with cameras, and we'll call the sheriff or, or the police, and they will, the game of fish, they will give you a ticket, and it's $200 more or more, depending on who gives you the ticket. So it's not worth the risk. Um, uh, most of the landowners out there have no problem if you have an emergency getting out of your boat, or if it's so windy that you have to walk your boat, or if you have to, you know, for some reason you get sick and you have to get out, just if you do have to get out, just don't be fishing. That's that, that's the main thing. If they catch you out of your boat fishing on private land, they're going to catch you. So, um, it, it's the same down by Saratoga as well. Um, just you know, if you don't know where you're at, you know, just don't get out get out of your boat. And if you do see people fishing out of their boat, that doesn't that doesn't mean it's public either. That it could be a guide that has permission. So good point. Don't don't assume it's public. Yeah. Well. We've we've had all these uh, questions r relating to time of year. Uh, Page in Wisconsin, right. Ray up in uh, New York right. State. Uh, um, could you give us a little bit of a breakdown? Uh, Burr down in Nederland, Colorado, is going to be up at the Gray Reef in March, and he wants right. to know uh, if it's apt to be blown out or whatever. Well, I, I, right. Um, it, actually, this week we finally just got up into the 50s this week, and, and the weather looks nice, so it looks like we're getting into that spring-type fishing although you always want to come prepared in Wyoming. But the best, we do fish all year long. There, there is, the river does not close. Um, it's open all year long. Um, the, the first nine miles does stay open because of the warm water coming out of the, uh, the reservoir. Um, so we do fish it all winter long. And uh, if you want to come when there's no crowds and have a chance of catching the big fish, actually the winter months are probably the best, but you, you have to be prepared to fish in you know, winter conditions. Um, our main season, uh, for, for guiding runs March through July, and then, like I said earlier, it gets a little warm and weedy, so we try to leave the uh, trout alone and find other species to chase for a little while. Then we start again in September, and then the fall months we do mostly streamer fishing and dry fly fishing versus the spring months uh, coming up here. We just mainly uh, nymph fish, and if the gods and the moons are lined up and, and we have clouds and no wind, uh, we do find a couple of days of dry fly fishing in the spring, but not very often. But, uh, so the best time of year, if you're going to travel from a, from a long distance, say, you know, Pennsylvania, New York, Canada, I recommend May and June because that's when you're going to find the, the nicest weather and uh, some of the best fishing. To answer your question, I guess, is May and June would be the best months if you're going to travel long distances. Yeah, and as you pointed out, the tailwaters are less likely to be affected by the uh, spring runoffs. Correct, correct. Uh, Mark Robert from Alberta, Canada, wanted to know if there, to have a successful fishing trip, uh, what would you recommend for the, the first-timer coming to the area? Would you recommend a guide, or can they do it by themselves? What would you, what would you say? 
Well, I always find two classes of uh, fly fishermen. There's those that like to figure it out on their own, and sometimes that's myself, and then there's those that want to know how to fish it right away. Um, basically, what I can tell you, when I go someplace new, I always get a guide, or at least get into a fly shop and try to get as most information as I can on the water I'm going to fish. I think it's advantageous to you know to everybody to do that because our our river is a little different uh these fish tend to hold in different kind of waters than most tailwaters that i fish um you know they're they're down in the like i said in the four or five foot slots and seams versus getting up into the ripples like you see on the bighorn uh, so they do you know in fact i guide people sometimes and i go through a hole and they go you know i would have never fished that water so that tells me right there that uh um, you know, I, get, I gave that client a new idea of where to fish and type of water to fish that he never would have thought of fishing before. One of the, I think the m- most important thing keys here for fishing the North Platte is you have to be on the bottom. Um, you know, either at lengthen your leader or split shot, and if you, you know, make sure your indicator's ticking along that bottom. Make sure you're hanging up on the rock every now and then, or coming up with some weeds so that you know you're down there. If you're not on the bottom here, you're just not going to catch these big rainbows. They they watch stuff go over their heads. They don't. There's so much food. They just <clears throat> don't have to to uh, expend a whole lot of energy to chase food here. So you really have to get a good drift and be on the bottom. I think that's key. Okay. Um, Mark from Sierra Travel wants to know if there are public access maps available. And I believe you mentioned that uh, you have right. those at your shop. Yes, we have right now. We have a tear-off map that we can hand to our customers, and the BLM is reprinting uh, the map they had a couple of years ago that but ran out very quickly, and and she's going to have that out again this month. And if, if the listeners want to send me a self-addressed uh, envelope, I'll be more than happy to uh, stick one of those, and it'll be a float map showing all all the new uh, public access. And that's something I might mention too. Some of these maps and books that you pick up. Uh, they get outdated fairly quickly quickly around here because uh, the government agencies here are, are constantly trying to gain more public access for folks. So they they can become outdated fairly quickly. So you you're better off um, you know getting with a fly shop or or somebody that can give you an updated map every year. Now the the, the map you were talking about the tear off one you have in the shop right now. That's the one we have a link to on your speakers page, right? Correct. Right. So if people want to go there now and click on that, they can see what we've been talking about. And, and uh, by the way, when, they, when you first click on it, you may have to click on the map itself again to have it enlarge itself to where you can actually right. read it. You, you can zoom in on it and then print it and uh, yeah. give you a quick little float map. If, if that's, but, uh, the map that I'm going to have here in a couple more weeks will be a much more detailed map. Great, great. Well, let's um, let's try to uh, get down talking a little bit more about equipment, and then let's zero in on these different parts of the river and what flies we might okay. be using, and and uh, get into specifics there. But let, let's start out with some equipment. Uh, what would a person need there, as far as uh, rods, first of all? Um, the best overall rod, I think, is a nine-foot five-weight. It, it has a—it's very forgiving um, when these fish make a quick run or a head shake. Um, really comparing it to an eight-weight, that's much stiffer. Um, 
So you can get away, the average, uh, the average fisherman can get away with making a mistake uh, with a five weight versus an eight weight. Unfortunately, unfortunately, we do have a lot of wind, so um, sometimes we have to fish a six or a seven just to, to get the, the fly in the water. But uh, I think that really the nicest rod to fish here is a five weight, but the six and the seven will work just as well. Um, you, you need a good quality reel with a smooth drag, I think, is a key thing here. These fish will take off on you, and uh, um, a lower-end reel that hesitates or, or just doesn't have that good start-up, uh, you could lose fish with that as well. Um, um, other than that, and then what I'm also seeing here with the local customers, we're starting to see a few more people spay fish the river, which is kind of neat, too. Hmm. So how how yeah. wide is the river where, where they're doing that? Uh, the river is probably 50 yards wide on average, so a spay rod, you know, you can cover a lot of water. Um, um, so you don't have to try to cross the river to get the other side with a spay rod. You can just reach out there and touch the other side. Of course, the fish are always bigger on the other side, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> it was way, that way in the movie, right? <laughs> Sometimes they're right at your feet, and I call those the boot lickers. Yeah, yeah. But uh, a good, yeah, a good five weight with a smooth, uh, smooth drag, I think, is uh, key here. And uh, as far as a leader setup goes, uh, when the water is about 500 cfs, we uh, we fish a 3x leader, uh, nine feet, um, to your first split shot, and then uh, tandem flies. Uh, we fish two flies, and then uh, once they raise the water up to that. Uh, summer irrigation flows, uh, 2200 CFS, we go to a 12-foot leader. But there again, we just if we're not touching the bottom, we're going we're gonna to add more split shot and more leader until we're getting down there, so keep that in mind. Then in the fall, um, once they lower the water down, we start streamer fishing again, and we go to a uh, either a 5- or 10-foot sink tip line for our streamers, or, or we do a lot of my guides uh, just get the sink, sinking leaders that you can add right to your floating line, and that's pretty neat little trick and you don't have to go out and buy another fly line uh you just sure. attach that attach that right to your floating line and uh as long as you're getting down with that streamer there again you have to get down to the bottom so uh i feel streamer fishing is a lot of a lot about angles uh if you're not getting down you can cast further upstream and if you're getting down too hard cast further downstream but uh so just a five to ten foot sink tip line is a, a good thing to have in the fall for the streamers well, let's take a brief break here, and when we come back, uh, maybe we can start talking a little bit about uh, some of the things that these trout on the North Platte like to eat. Okay. Uh, when we return, Mark will be answering more of your questions about fly fishing the tailwaters of the North Platte River. Our approach is simple, education. Fly Fusion is unique when it comes to fly fishing magazines. It is one of the only few magazines in North America that focuses on instruction and education. In Fly Fusion, we've covered subjects like shortline nymphing, tactics for tough days, stillwater fly patterns, dry fly fishing for fussy trout, and a host of other interesting and educational topics. Visit our website today at www.flyfusionmag.com. That's www.flyfusionmag.com. And start your subscription to Fly Fusion today so that you can learn all you need to know about fly fishing. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Mark Benam about fly fishing the tailwaters of the North Platte River. 
you'd like to send in a question for Mark, go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com. Click on the link below the description of the show. It says click here to ask Mark your most important question. We'll be receiving your questions promptly, and we're trying to answer as many of them on the show as possible tonight. Well, Mark, uh, as a fisheries biologist, this must be near and dear to your heart, but uh, uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about what the main food sources uh, for trout are on the North Platte? Um, throughout the year, we, we have a good population of scuds, crayfish, uh, minnows, and leeches, um, so they're always in the river. Um, so those are always good patterns to have with you. Um, way back when from the old timers tell me that one of the first most popular patterns that they used to fish here was the muddler minnow. Of course, one of the negatives to that pattern is it's tough to get down to the bottom without a lot of split shots. But the, yeah. so we've changed quite a, quite a few of those patterns to do uh, some of the minnows and uh, crayfish and leeches here that uh, do get down a little faster now, a little more specific. And then uh, as far as the hatches go, there's always midges all, all year long as well, even throughout the winter months. Uh, so those are good patterns to have in those winter months. Um, coming up here in a couple weeks, we'll start seeing some blue-wing olives, and then that will phase into some a, P, a good PMD hatch towards the end of May, first part of uh, June. And then towards the end of June, uh, we start seeing a yellow sally hatch, and that's just like any other typical stonefly hatch. It starts down low and migrates up the river. Um, and then about the middle of July, we start seeing our trichos, which last into uh, September. And then towards the end of September, we have a, the second blue-wing olive hatch. And th those are our main hatches throughout the year. And uh, But uh, we always tend to fish all year long um, with a leech pattern or followed by... Uh, San Juan worm, <clears throat> that type of stuff. Those are always great go-to patterns here. And then we'll adjust the uh, mayfly patterns or yellow sally patterns as it becomes more specific. Well, you and you do have a on your website right on the top line menu. Um, you've got the hatch chart, so people can Correct. see what you've just talked about as far as the, the timing of those hatches. Now. Um, if we're talking about the, the Miracle Mile up there, let's start with that first. Uh, or, I guess I should ask, you know, is there different flies you use up there as opposed to Fremont Canyon versus Gray Reef or uh, pretty much the same approach? Pretty much the same. Uh, the Miracle Mile might be a week or two or, um, um, later on their hatches because it's, the water's a little bit cooler there. Uh, it's cooler there first and then warms up as it gets comes to Orange Casper, so the hatches might be off a week or two, but pretty much they're about the same. And uh, and one thing you will find on the mile more than Gray Reef uh, is a good golden stone hatch uh, towards the end of June, which we have a few golden stones here in the Gray Reef section, but it's just not that prolific as the mile. And the mile is much cleaner, better gravel bars, uh, much more structure suited for golden stones than uh, what we have here. More oxygen in the water there. Yeah. Yeah. Correct. It's uh, a lot of pocket water. And the, the other good uh, um, uh, food source for these fish, believe it or not, we have a lot of crane flies. Uh, the, uh, the larvae, when it's in the, in, the, in the rivers, it's a great food source. A lot of folks don't realize it, though. The uh, crane fly, fly larvae actually crawls out and pupates in the ground so it's only really available to fish as a larva and an adult and when it's pupating it's actually 
out of the river. So, hmm. uh, but the, the larva here is almost uh, two inches long and about as thick as a pencil. So that's quite a meal for those trout. What? Yeah, sounds like it for sure. Yeah. <laughs> are, are there any hatches uh, on your section of the river that just make fish uh, totally dumb and stupid, like uh, you know some of the hatches we hear about? Look. Um, you, basically, the only time I guess when we talk dumb and stupid, that's when they're coming up for dries, and and we see them get a little bit dumb and stupid on uh, the trichos, and, and at the end of August and September, another and another hatch which I didn't really mention is the caddis hatch, which we don't have a Mother's Day caddis hatch. We just basically have a consistent hatch of caddis throughout the summer. So it, those are good patterns to, like uh, LaFontaine sparkle pupa. Um, my Rocky Mountain caddis are great patterns for the caddis flies if you want to try to imitate those. And um, towards the fall, when the trichos are coming up, they'll take, I, I will usually fish a Goddard caddis followed by a trico spinner mainly because you can locate your flies a lot easier and uh, 80 percent of the time they'll grab that caddis even though they're feeding on the trichos i want everybody to know too that at the bottom of your speakers page there's a link to uh, the shop flies and um, you just mentioned the first one on that or one of, one of the, the ones on that page the um, rocky mountain caddis pattern that you have um, so if people want to see that uh, they can go there now these look a little bit different than what I've seen used down on the Arkansas in Colorado. Can you kind of explain the, the design of these, uh, Mark, and, and the whys and wherefores? Um, I want to design a caddis pattern that would work throughout the Rockies that you could carry with you in all those colors that I have available. For instance, uh, I have a, a the darker black caddis, which we don't have here, but you find on the bighorn. Uh, I designed it so that it's, a, it's an emerging type caddis that you can fish either as a nymph on the bottom or up in the film, I, there's a little CDC in there uh, as an underwing, and uh, caddis when they're coming up, they're actually a, a mess. If you've ever watched a, a little clip of a emerging caddis, they got stuff hanging off all over them. Um, that's why I think soft tackle type patterns and uh, any kind of pattern that's going to undulate a little bit as it's coming up is a great caddis pattern. But uh, I just tried to design a, a pattern that would fit all the whole caddis realm in, in different colors. I actually had a fellow email me uh, that used one of those, I believe it was the olive color on the, uh, in the Catskills in New York, and said it worked great. So it's another one of those patterns I've come up with that will work anywhere that there's caddis. So it's kind of a fun little fly to tie. It's a little more advanced, but uh, uh, once you get it down, it, it's a neat little pattern. One thing I noticed that's a little bit different that I hadn't seen before is you say you're using clear Swiss straw as the uh, the top of the wing with the CDC right. underneath. That's, that's different. Yeah. What what I was trying to do there was to uh, trap, and a little air bubble, CDC traps that air, and, it, and putting it under that Swiss straw, you get that little air bubble on its back. And, uh, you know, that's the main propulsion for caddis when they're coming up to hatch is they get that gas, gas bubble on their back, and that pops them up quick, and uh, that was the reasoning behind that. Mark, you've developed uh, quite a number of different fly patterns yourself. W when you're doing that, or, and I'm, I expect you're applying some of the science you learned in your right. fisheries biology training, but when you design a fly, what is your goal? Are you trying to stimulate triggers? What, what exactly is your uh, aim? 
Yeah, uh, it's, you know, like on my split phone back, sometimes I will tie that on a scud hook so that it's slightly bent, and sometimes I'll tie that same pattern on a straight hook. Um, if you think about it, when a fly wants to come up the hatch, he's going to be get the most surface area that he can, so he's going to be laying out flat and straight, and if he wants to sink, he's going to curl up into a ball. So when I see a hatch coming on and, and the flies are... are or pre-hatch, I'll use a curved hook, and then, and then once the hatch really gets flowing, I'll just go to that straight hook, and that's that's getting a little more technical. But uh, just knowing some of those things can help you improve your catch rate. Uh, but the, so so I'm always aware of my surroundings. Uh, you know, what are the birds doing? What are the bugs doing? I I, I just don't focus on the water. Uh, I try to focus on the surroundings. That, and I bring a lot of these bugs back to the shop and really try to get specific with colors for our river. And I recommend that, you know, anybody do that on their river. Uh, on their river. Um, one of the main things I see a lot of flyer tires do is they'll match the dubbing to match the, the bug, but then they don't get that dubbing wet, and, you know, it gets three shades darker So uh, after it gets wet. So, you know, make sure you wet your fly when you're trying to design to, uh, to match those colors. Yeah, I noticed that the split foam backs are on your site too, on that same page there, and that's that's more the, the split foam backs more for a, a mayfly merger, is that right? It, it, and they'll take it for a midge as well. Um, what I did there with the foam back on that fly, I wanted a pattern that I could fish just off the bottom, one that it's emerging, or or and I can also fish that fly right in the film because of the little foam wing case on there. I can fish that throughout the whole zone very effectively with by having that foam on the wing case. And that, that foam is great stuff to wear. It's uh, razor foam, or you can buy it at Hobby Lobby, the fun foam. Um, you can do a lot of stuff with that. Of course, you see it on hoppers and uh, some of these uh, Chernobyl ants and club sandwiches. But uh, you can also incorporate it in your little dry flies, uh, little midge emergers, uh, and, you know, blue or mayfly patterns as well. Can you tell us about some of the other flies you have on this page that, uh, you know, why, why they were developed? Yeah, the vanilla bugger is probably one of the best-known flies throughout the Rockies. <clears throat> and uh, I originally designed that pattern for the crane fly larva. They're kind of a creamy colored, and uh, like I said earlier, they're about as thick as a pencil. Um, the original pattern did not have a cone head on it, but over the years we've kind of, it's kind of mutated into a cone head uh, booger type pattern and the cool thing about that pattern it depends on the way you fish it if you dead drift it you can it'll they'll take it for a crane fly and then uh if you in the fall when we strip it uh it imitates the the baby suckers that we have it's a dead ringer for the baby suckers in the fall here I'll be darned. and and uh <clears throat> also when crawdads molt and then when the bigger stoneflies go through their instars when they're they shed that skin they kind of turn up a tan creamy color and that pattern, uh, we've caught striped bass on it off uh, uh, Martha's Vineyard. We've caught uh, bluegill, largemouth, pike. Um, a lot of my customers take it to Alaska. I guess they take it for a flesh fly up there. Mm -hmm. So it's been a pattern, probably my most popular pattern, that this works everywhere, no matter, you know, for warm water species especially, because um, it, it is a good minnow pattern, and, and, and it can it can go for a lot of different patterns, just just on depending on how you fish the pattern. 
got a question here from Jay Hatch down in Boulder. He wonders, uh, he's, he's coming up to the reef down to Lusby, or Lusby going to be uh, drifting and next week, and wonders what uh, patterns and techniques you'd recommend to him. Um, right now, uh, the, the leech patterns and a brown color have been working fairly well with a, a red rock worm or a red San Juan worm. <clears throat> have been working really well. And then throughout the, the winter months, uh, scuds and midges are also great patterns. Now, once we get this flushing flow, which we can talk about here in a minute, um, that really knocks the scuds down out of the river, and uh, it really takes them all all year to, to come back, and then by next fall, again, they're back in good numbers. But uh, um, right now, the leech pattern scuds, uh, and, and on our bright sunny days, which we get 300 sunny days here in Wyoming a year, um, anything red, red midges, red San Juan worms, red, what we call red rockworm, which is just a uh, red larva lace wrapped up the shank of a hook um, is a great pattern to always have with you. Um, I think red is just an instinctive color for a trout to feed on anyway. Um, sure. But uh, one thing we did mention earlier uh, is that we do get a annual flushing flow here, and that's what's really brought this section back to what it is today. Uh, and we're supposed to get two a year, one in the spring and one in the fall. And what they do is uh, this year it's supposed to happen the 19th through the 23rd of March. And they actually do the flows at night. They start at midnight and bring the, the river up to 4,000 CFS from 500. And that really picks up that sediment load, silt and whatnot, and cleans out those gravel beds right before the spawn. And uh, got to give kudos to the Game and Fish and the Bureau of Rec and everybody coming together on that because they do lose uh, revenue on power uh, to do that. They, they recapture the water downstream in, in the other reservoirs down like Lake McConaughey and Nebraska. So they don't lose water, but they do lose the power. But uh, that's really what's really made this river as, as good as it is. It's, we keep, they keep those gravel beds cleaned out, and the, the rainbows are, are, are self-sustaining. They don't even stock the river anymore. It's, it's just all natural rainbows now, which is uh, pretty neat. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, if a, if a guy's going to populate his fly box for your river, what, what do you recommend that he include? Um, just your traditional basic patterns, um, like uh, uh, midges and, and zebra midges, black beauties um, for the whole year. Um, of course, the red San Juan worms and rock worms that, that I talked about. Your basic pheasant tail will work just fine here in, in the smaller sizes, 18 to 22, so it will cover... Um, both the blueing olives and the PMDs. Um, if you, you know, if the guy's just coming here doesn't want to get specific, he can get away with those type patterns. And your hair's ear uh, in some of the bigger sizes will cover the caddis and some of the bigger mayflies that we do have. And um, then you want to have some caddis patterns like La Fontaine caddis or, or my, my Rocky Mountain caddis patterns. And then uh, other than that, you want to have some um, good streamer patterns, uh, leech patterns, uh, the muddler minnow will work, the, the Platte River Special, which originated here, um, is always a good pattern. And then as uh, far as dries, it, really all you need is some uh, small trichos and sizes 20, 22, um, some dry caddis. And the parachute atoms is a, a great little pattern to have in the fall for the blueing olive hatch. You don't have to get 
These fish don't look up that often, so you really don't have to get too specific on your dries. They're not that picky. Uh, if you just get a good drift in front of them, they know they're going to they're going to take it when they are coming up. But um, are you? Yeah, so you're, go ahead. I was going to say, are you? Um, are you? Are you saying that um, the Great Reef area isn't a, a, a good place if you're if you're one of these dry fly fishermen? That's all you do. Yeah, if it's you're a dry fishing. fly fanatic fanatic uh you know the fall is it about for us we really don't see a hopper season here or, or terrestrials um basically when they lower that water back down in august and those trichos are, are busting or come you know the spinnerfall uh it's so it, it's just so thick that they i guess they can't they finally just can't stand it anymore and they, they start to pot up a little bit in the fall and then we go, continue right into that blue wing olive season at the end of september and they they tend to stay up for that in the fall. I don't know why. I, I just think there's so much food in the spring and, and the, that they just don't have to expend that energy. And maybe the hatches just aren't prolific enough in the spring to get them coming up in that springtime. But uh, it used to be before the flushing flows, we didn't see any dry fly fishing. And, mm. uh, those, those flushing flows have really bought, brought back a lot of these uh, invertebrates, like the trichos, to high numbers and... And so the trout have started to learn how to <laughs> come back up to the top. But for the longest, longest time when I first started fishing here, I didn't even carry dry flies with me. But uh, it's it's just uh, a tailwater. We just don't see them coming up. And plus they're really big fish. And, uh, you know, how many waters do you go to where you see 18, 20-inch fish rise anyway? Right. It, it right. just doesn't happen. So. What about you? Got a lot of scud patterns here. How uh, can you fish the scuds all the way down to, to Casper, or do they work better at the upper end up by the dam? Um, they work all the way through the system here. Um, probably a little more prolific up by the dam because because we do get that weed growth in July and August. But like I said, once we get the flushing flow, I, I believe it, this seems to, to quit working after that, and I believe they get uh, flushed down the river and. Uh, so it's the winter months I really concentrate on the scud patterns. Mark, I've got a question here. Maybe you can be some help to Burr Wilcox down in Nederland, Colorado. He's planning on coming up uh, to the Gray Reef the end of March, and uh, you've talked about the blowout. He's been told that he may have to go up to the dam, and he's not afraid at all to walk. Uh, uh -huh. what, uh, what's your recommendation for him? Well, um, those flows start at midnight, and then they bring them back down the next day about 10 o'clock in the morning. So what happens is those flows really stir up the food, and the, and the fishing is really awesome, actually. Believe it or not, um, the fish is kind of go. they got this buffet coming down at them, so the fishing can be really, really good. And uh, so the flows come back down about 10 o'clock in the morning, and so what all the guides and the fishermen do is, get out there about 10 o'clock right at the dam and you get in behind the flows and the fishing is, is excellent now those that are fishing down river want to be aware because the flows reach casper about uh two to three o'clock in the next afternoon so you know the chunk of water that's flowing down the river if you can think of it as that um where it jumps up and then it goes back down so they really flush it at night and then the next day we get in behind those flows and uh and the fish are usually going nuts because they've got all this food that's all stirred up. One more question before we go on break. Uh, just came in um, from Bob in Longmont. Um, I'm wondering if that's Longmont, Colorado, but yeah. uh, 
Uh, he says, he, uh, you mentioned fishing from a drift boat makes the most sense on Gray Reef. Can I rent a boat from your shop or, or, or obviously anywhere else in the area? Yeah, and I, we, we did not mention this earlier. There is shuttle services available here on, on the river, and they run about $15. Uh, I do have two rental boats, and, uh, of course, they're very popular, and uh, they get booked up quite quickly. So, um, yes, to answer the question, I do have rentals. And the little store that does shuttles up out of Alcova is called Sloan's General Store, and they have a, a, a rental boat or two as well. So there's four or five rental boats available in the area. Good, and it's, and it's totally feasible to do this on your own let's say you have fished uh, with a guide and and you've learned a bit and you can go out and hire the shuttle and do the whole thing on your on your own right and and uh, i will mention too that the north platte is a great place to learn how to or the gray reef section is a great place to learn how to row because there's not any uh real water that you're going to get in trouble and it's basically bathtub water there's no class rapids so it's a great place for a beginner to come learn how to row although we do have the wind which is a little bit tough on the beginner but uh Really, you're not going to get in too much trouble. Um, of course, uh, Drift Boat 101 is you, you don't want to go sideways in any of the runs. You always want to keep that boat pointed downstream. Um, but uh, basically, it's a great place to come and learn how to row. Well, let's take on another quick break, and then we'll come back. Uh, when we return, Mark will be answering more of your questions about fly fishing the challenging waters of, of the North Platte River. Front range anglers. A full-service fly shop located in Boulder, Colorado, provides premium tackle and comprehensive instruction and guide services to fly fishers across the country. In business for over 25 years and with a staff that averages 20 years of experience, they give you the straight story on gear, places to fish, flies, and techniques. They also publish a monthly newsletter that is one of the most informative and insightful electronic magazines in the industry. Find out more about this premier shop by logging on to their website at www.frontrangeanglers.com. That's frontrangeanglers.com. You're listening to Ask About Fly Fishing Internet Radio, and we're talking with Mark Banam about fly fishing the North Platte River in Wyoming. If you'd like to ask Mark a question, just go to our homepage at askaboutflyfishing.com and click on the link below the description of the show that says click here to ask Mark your most important question. We'll receive your questions immediately, and we'll try to answer as many of them as possible on the show tonight. Well, since we were talking a, a little bit about uh, uh, facilities and so forth for, for coming out there, are, is there camping nearby uh, that, that people can camp and, and fish? Yeah, uh, right at Gray Reef itself, there is a feed campground. Um, that's all they have, basically your basic, basic needs like an outhouse and picnic tables. Um, in Casper, there's a campground. Uh, if folks want to email me, I can give them more information on that. Uh, that has the full hookups. Um, and then there's lot of, lots of hotels. There are cabins there. The same little store that I mentioned earlier, Alcova uh, Sloan's. They have some, about six cabins behind their store that they uh, they book people in. And there's another little hotel up there as well, right at Gray Reef. Um, but most people, a lot of people. Because of the uh, eating facilities out there are very limited, we'll stay in town at hotels. They have a little more choice on dining at night. And I really don't see that many folks camping along the river, you know, doing overnight-type trips. Most of, the, most of the activity I see is day trips. They get off the river, go back to their hotel or, or cabin, and, and, you know, 
eat dinner at home at night and then go out there and hit it again because it's so accessible, you know, you don't have to drive that far to, uh, and the shuttles are fairly cheap, so you're not, you know, spending a lot of money on shuttles either. So I, I see a lot of the folks just doing day trips. And uh, as far as getting here, uh, you know, I'm sure you want to talk a bit about that. The airlines, you can fly right into Casper. Um, you can come through United Express out of Denver or SkyWest from Salt Lake. So no matter which part of the country you're coming from, you can you can get right into Casper. Of course, they uh, charge you a little bit more coming into these little communities out of those big airports. So some folks will actually rent a car out of Denver and drive up, which is about four and a half hours. Sure. Uh, well, tell me, for, for people who come to that area, Mark, are there other waters around? I mean, we've talked about the reservoirs that are impoundments or, or nearby to the to the North Platte. Are there well, other major uh, areas for, for a, a fishing focus? Right. Well, you can fish right in those lakes we talked about. There is good trout and walleye fishing in those lakes as well. As um, far as the other rivers to fish, um, that's one nice thing where we're located right in the middle of Wyoming. We're only uh, three and a half hours from the Big Horn and about the same distance from the Green. And then we're about five hours from Jackson. You know, we have all those waters up there. So um, no matter which direction you go out of Casper, you, you can find the bigger waters. And, of course, we've got tons of mountain streams around. Um, one of the better known ones close by to us is the Middle Fork of the Powder River where Outlaw Canyon is. Um, where the old hole-in-the-wall gang used to hang out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, no matter which... And then we have the um, Bighorn River over there by Thermopolis, which is a very underrated river and not well-known. There's not a whole lot of guide services over there, but that's fairly close to us as well um, and has a pretty good population of browns and rainbows in it. The numbers aren't quite as high as what we have, but uh, the quality of fish are, is very nice over there. So, you know, Wyoming's is full of uh, rivers and lakes and ponds and creeks that you can fish. You can always find something. <laughs> yeah, head out of Casper. So yeah, sure. Sure, the Bighorn Mountains offer some nice uh, scenery and right. camping as, as well as Probably fishing. one of the better-known creeks up there would be uh, the Tongue River up, up there out of mm-hmm. Sheridan. Yep. So. I'm, I'm curious. Uh, I'm kind of a partial to the hopper season up here in Montana, and you uh-huh. mentioned that that your river doesn't get a hopper season. How come? Um, well, I, I should say I, I have caught a few trout on hoppers, and if you get the right day and the right conditions. Um, one of the problems uh, with our riparian areas is, and I don't want to make the ranchers mad, but it is tends to be overgrazed. Um, so we just don't have that good growth of grasses and shrubs and whatnot that the hoppers are going to hang out along the sides of the river and get drop in for us. Now, as we do come down towards Casper, where there's less grazing going on, there's a huge difference in, in, the, in the shoreline. We see a lot more grass and uh, Russian olives and, you know, willows where, where, where there's no grazing going on. And that's where I tend to, to try the hoppers. And, and you can catch fish on hoppers here, but it's just not like uh, some of your better-known rivers, like you say up in Montana, where you just do a hopper with a, San Juan dropper, I guess, is a hopper dropper. Yep. Um, but uh, I think it's really the quality of the banks that we have here that uh, limits that kind of. We certainly have the wind that blow, would blow them in, but we just don't have, hmm. uh, and, you know, that great structure along the banks. And uh, 
and we do and we do have plenty of hoppers around it's not a it's not a because we don't have hoppers here hmm. but i think it's just the fact that we don't have that uh growth along the banks where they'll hold are there any particular or specific presentation techniques that you think are are used more prevalently and you know on the on the north platte well, with nymphing, of course, you just want to get the best possible drift. And, and your, your first time here, I really recommend that you use an indicator. Um, I, I do try to push people a little bit uh, after they've caught some fish to try to, to get rid of the indicator and push themselves. Because I believe sometimes you can get down in some of those little deeper holes to find maybe a bigger rainbow. But uh, other than that, it's your standard dead drift with an indicator, a couple split shot, and then uh, in the fall we'll we'll do a various this uh, dead drift with the sink tip, and then we'll try a swing. If that's not working, we'll strip the fly. So you want to try all three of those techniques, uh, you know, in the fall. Because some days they may want to chase it, some days they may want it to drift right to them. Um, we started playing around a little bit last year with an indicator and a streamer and twitching the fly. <laughs> so that was something new, and it, it was pretty effective. You know, twitching that streamer with an indicator, and uh, it was, it's, it's a pretty little effective technique. When you talk about the, the fall fishing and streamer fishing, um, do you uh, use some of the techniques that Kelly Gallup uh, uh, uses? Uh, do you, are you fishing up against the bank? And yeah, we're we're. Um, it just depends on the day. If we don't, what we find in the fall, if we don't get the good hatch or the good cloudy day, they tend to to, to hold out in the middle of the river. So we'll fish off the drop-offs down out in the middle of the river. But if we get a good cloudy day and some hatches where we feel that they're along the banks, then we'll we'll definitely uh, just hit the bank, strip three or four times, and pick up and cast again. And uh, or you know, in certain little pockets along the banks where we know fish commonly holds the fish, we'll always hit those spots. But I think it's more a matter of there being aware of your surroundings and what's going on that day. And if you're not you know getting them along the banks, then they're they're not there. That you got to get down a little deeper out in, that, in those middle runs and try to find them in that kind of water. So we adjust. I think, you know, most most fly fishermen need to, to learn how to adjust and uh, try new things if they're not catching those fish. And what you're saying there about the cloud cover is there needs to be some, some kind of cover to get those big fish off the bottom where they normally are sitting, right? Yeah, we find them on the sunny. As long as there's some kind of bug activity, I think, to draw them over to those sides, I think that's what pulls them over. There again, we just don't have uh, the nice cut banks or the sharp banks for fish to really hold consistently. Um, we have little short sections of that kind of water, but the banks on the on the gray reef section tend to come in very gradual. So we don't have those nice sharp, uh, what I call holding water along the banks for fish to hang out there all the time. Something has to pull them over there and. Usually, if we can get a hatch, that'll that'll draw them out of that deeper water and get them over there. It doesn't necessarily have to be cloudy. We just, I guess, I we tend to know that we do better on streamers uh, along the banks on those cloudier days. And it's probably because we're getting better hatches. Mark, we've got a question from Ralph in in Millbrook, New York, and he says, "I was wondering, did you or do you now keep a fishing journal or log, and what would you consider to be important information to keep in a journal to help you understand?" or learn patterns when fishing trout waters? Um, I did actually keep a journal for a while, but there again, after you do so many trips over and over, you, you pretty much just have it and <laughs> know the hatches and know the river. 
But one of the interesting things I think that uh, people would, it's fun for people to do is carry a barometer with them. And I think especially for uh, rivers, it's very interesting to watch the hatches and when trout turn on and turn off uh, according to that barometer. Um, uh, you know, where in, in inland waters, um, we're not affected by the tides as much. I think that's an important factor in the salt water. But uh, I think for freshwater fishing, the, one of the biggest keys for me that I've learned over the years is that barometer. And, uh, you know, in your log, you want to keep, you know, temperature, the type of day, whether it was sunny or cloudy, what was hatching, because um, that helps you the next year when you go back uh, to know when about the hatch started or what you did see. I think it helps you go to your fly box and pull out that right pattern to start with. Um, but uh, one of the most interesting things that I, I used to, to really watch and carry with me was a barometer, and it was really neat to watch that. Mark, one more follow-up question there. Uh, sorry, Don. Um, you mentioned the barometer, but what about um, what about full moon and, and the, the changing of the moon? Does that... Um, uh, yeah, well, there again, I think that, of course, that affects the tides in the salt water, which is key there. Uh, right. But in a river where you got continually moving water and the fish have to continually um, maintain their energy, I think uh, it's not a big factor because they've always got to eat to maintain that energy. I try to think of trout as energy-efficient machines. They're not going to, for instance, they're not going to hold in fast water if they're not getting enough food coming to them. They're going to back off, and I see that a lot in the winter fishermen here. They, they tend to fish water that's a little too fast, and they wonder why they're not catching fish. They need to move back in that run a little bit because um, the, the, they're just not going to hold in that type of water if they're not getting uh, the, the amount of food they need to, to maintain that energy. Now, if you get a good little midge hatch in the winter, uh, pro prolific midge hatch, they'll move up a little tighter in, the, in that faster water. So, But in, in moving water, I really don't think the uh, moon has a big effect because of the fact that they have to maintain all the time. Sure. Mark, I've got a question from Silas Gray in, in Missouri. He's bringing a, a novice out to your country at the end of May and just wonders how you would suggest they approach your river. Um, boy, that, that's when that water's going to go up, and, and I think the best thing there is to, to get a guide the first day and then uh, try to, if they want, get that rental boat the second day and to do their own thing. Uh, the wade fishing will be limited, like I said earlier, will be a little bit limited because of the high water. And of course, with the novice, what we can teach him in one day is, you know, is we can really concentrate on him and uh, get him going and, uh, you know, show him how to get that, that, that perfect dead drift and how to set on every little, you know, indicator strike and all that stuff. Um, so as far as the novice goes, if, if you really want to... To get going, you just can't be getting a guide, and sure. and I and I can really even for my competition here in our area, um, I think it's important to get a local guide. Um, we do have a lot of guides that come in outside the area with a lot of their uh, good customers, which is fine. But uh, we we do outfish them, I believe, and uh, um, we're going to show those guys where to fish and how to fish the river and. Uh, it's just best, and like I was going to say, all the guides in this area, all, all the outfitters here, all the guides are really good. Um, you're not going to go wrong by, by getting a guide uh, from any of the outfitters in Casper. So, 
definitely for Silas, the end of May would be some uh, challenging water conditions. And yeah, the, I expect the water will be back up to 2,200 CFS at that time. And uh, with a novice learning how to, to, to weight fish it in heavy water like that can be very frustrating. And we should, certainly don't want a, a novice to get frustrated because they're, they're just not going to come back and do it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, one of the, the themes that we've heard a lot on rivers is things tend to turn on on the river about the time a lot of the anglers are heading home. Right. What do you recommend in your, your part of the country as far as that twilight hour or even into the dark? Well, in the springtime, we really don't see a lot of that, but as the water gets warmer at, towards the end of June into July, that's when we start saying, okay, let's meet at 6 o'clock in the morning and get out there while that water's cool or do a half day in the evening when the water's cool. I think that's probably the more important factor for us. In the spring months, these right, right uh, at the present time right now, these uh, rainbows are staging up, and they're trying to get as much energy as possible because they're getting ready to spawn. And then once the spawn is over, they're, they're, they're putting the weight back on, get as much energy back. So during the spring months, they're just feeding. Uh, so it, And they're feeding all day long. It's not a real key factor. But... As we get in those uh, warmer water months, um, I think it is key to either fish in the morning and evening, and you will see more productive feeding at those times of day versus the hot, sunny part of the afternoon. Um, in, um, for an instance, in July, I, when I guide, we have a partly cloudy day. I try to uh, time my drift through a hole when the cloud's over, and then as soon as that sun pops out, they quit feeding, but as soon as we get a cloud again, they feed again. It's just one of those deals where they feel a little more comfortable. But uh, okay. I really think the temperature of the water and, and rivers has a lot to do with that morning and evening type activity. Sure. Do you, do you think there are any unique presentation strategies uh, in your country? And actually, Mike Wolf in Pennsylvania is inquiring if there are strategies used there that he might apply uh, on Freestone or Spring Creeks back in PA. Um, we do the standard uh, techniques, little tricks that you see here and then. We'll, we'll do a dropper off a dry sometimes. Uh, if we see the fish are porpoising uh, and not really leaving that air bubble in the middle of the ring, which means they're, they're uh, taking the mergers, we will do those type techniques to uh, try to catch those fish that are keen on the mergers. Um, but other than that, we're, we're just doing the standard, uh, you know, get a good good drift, nymphing on the bottom, or, you know, those type techniques. We don't really do anything different here that, I, that I've that i found uh, versus other waters that I can really talk about. Well, one thing, too, Mark, I just wanted to kind of comment on when you said local guides. Um, one thing that, that the, the local guides have over uh, people from, from outside the area is that they fished there yesterday and, and the day before. Sure. Exactly. <laughs> they know know what's going on on the river. They're totally in touch. Which when right, we usually embarrass those guides that, uh, and, and I understand they have customers that really like them, and and they come in from outside the area. And mm-hmm. You see that everywhere, but uh, you know they they do catch fish, but uh, we usually uh, they usually don't stick around us too much because we're usually. <laughs> <impressed them. laughs> well, unfortunately. Gentlemen, it's time to to wrap things up. Um, but uh, I sure learned a lot tonight. Did you, Don? You bet. Yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get up there. Yeah, yeah. It's um, 
and and for people that like to work their drift boat, that sounds like a great river to uh, 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 to fish on. And not that far from Denver. I didn't realize it was it was you know it's much closer than the, the Bighorn as far as access goes. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Uh, Time to wrap things up. Um, when we return, we'll be doing a drawing for Cliff Outdoors Fly Box loaded with Mark's personal fly patterns. These are patterns that he's developed himself and that, that you were looking at on the website tonight. And we're also going to be doing a one-year uh, uh, drawing for one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine and a three-year membership to the Federation of Fly Fishers. So stay tuned to see if you win. Attention fly fishers. Are you aware of the proposed pebble mine project in southwest Alaska? This enormous open pit could generate as much as 3 billion tons of waste in a seismic area with some of the most important trout and Pacific salmon fisheries in all of Alaska, or the world for that matter. The well-being of Lake Iliamna and the entire Bristol Bay area waters may be at stake. If you are not already, acquaint yourself with the concerns. You can make a difference, and the ramifications reach far beyond fly fishing. Go to www.bristolbayalliance.com or Google Bristol Bay Mining. That's bristolbayalliance.com or Google Bristol Bay Mining. If you know of other conservation concerns, please bring them to our attention at info at askaboutflyfishing.com. In the future, we'll be presenting special editions on our website which deal with these topics. Get involved, be proactive, help protect our environment and the future of fly fishing. The events calendar is catching on. You can now see events in such states as Idaho, Indiana, Minnesota, New York, and Wyoming. Help spread the word so events in your area are included. The Tippecanoe Fly Fishers in West Lafayette, Indiana, have their monthly meeting on Friday, March 27th at 6.30 p.m. Dave and Emily Whitlock will be giving the program. Go to the events calendar and click on Indiana for more details. Imagine the business travelers from Alberta who see an event when they come to a meeting in your area. They meet a few fly fishers, go fishing with them, and the next thing you know, they have to go fish the Bow River with their new friends in Al up in Alberta all because there's a source for information regarding events everywhere. Encourage your local clubs and fly shops to list their events, whether it be demos, classes, shows, meetings, or whatever. The events calendar not only promotes the event, but the sponsor as well. Free advertising, and they do it themselves. Go to the events calendar and get started now. Get your events out there for everyone to see. We'll be highlighting one event from the calendar on each of our shows. Well, just a quick reminder to everyone before you leave the website tonight, please take a minute and give us your feedback about the show. You can find a link on our homepage in this section on tonight's show that says, what did you think of this show? Just click on that link and leave your comments. Well, it's, now it's time to give away Mark's Cliff Outdoors fly box loaded with his personal fly patterns. Now, Don, did you put each of our names in there ten times like I told I, I you was, to? I was just going to say. <laughs> because I want to win this. That I can't win this. <laughs> <laughs> this is a real drag. <laughs> That's exactly right. <laughs> okay, well, we'll, we'll cry. <laughs> we'll shed our tears here, Don. Sorry. Yeah, well, I'm going to, uh, uh, if you, if you haven't registered for the drawing, it's too late now. Our, our drawings are done randomly from the, the show's registration database. So, Next time, be sure and register because you don't want to miss out on some of these incredible prizes. 
And this, this fly box is one that, that somebody's going to make good use of. Well, let me press the magic button here and see who the winner of the, the fly box is. And I want to thank you, Mark, for offering this as a gift tonight on our drawing. I think it's a great gift. My pleasure. My pleasure. And the winner, it, oh, my gosh, this guy will probably come up and use it. Uh, Robert Cambruzzi in Colorado. Robert Cambruzzi. Great. great. So this is real close great. to his stomping grounds. It was close to my house, Don. <laughs> well, not bad. <laughs> At least it was in the right state. <laughs> That's right. Okay. Well, congratulations. And um, uh, our second drawing will be for the uh, one-year subscription to Fly Fusion Magazine. And this, again, is a, a, a great gift um, uh, out of Calgary, Canada, and um, Calgary, Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And uh, they produce just a great product, and uh, everybody, I'm sure, will enjoy it. Let me press the magic button again and see who the winner of that one-year subscription is. And it's Tom Moon in Texas. Tom Moon wow. in Texas. Got a lot of people around. New information. Yeah, yeah. So Good. congratulations, Tom. And then one more drawing, and this will be for the three-year membership to the Federation of Fly Fishers, which is always a great, great Terrific gift. Deal. Yeah. So that is going to be Wayne Reese. R-E-E-S, Wayne Reese, and Wayne is in Colorado as well. So Colorado wins tonight. Yeah. Pays to listen, pays to register, folks, and uh, enjoy your prizes. Congratulations. You folks are going to really enjoy those. Well, Mark, looks like we're about to the end of our time, but I want to thank you for spending time with us tonight. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your insights, uh, you know, based on your experience up there on the North Platte. Uh, we Appreciate hope we can get you back Tyler. another time. Maybe we'll have to talk about carp on the North Platte or something. If I could mention real quick, uh, there is an yep. article coming out in Fishing the West uh, about carp fishing in April for those carp fanatics. So, okay, uh, about this area, so that that Boy, might it's, help. It's me. really catching on around the country. Fishing yeah, the West. Yeah, it's called Fishing the West. It's a magazine, and it should be out in April. And uh, yeah, that carp fishing within the next ten years. Once we can convince everybody that it's. Uh, it's that much fun. I think it's really going to really gonna take off. Well, great. Well, thanks again, Mark. And everybody, our next broadcast will be on March 21st at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And on that show, we'll be interviewing John Comiskey, and our topic for the show will be redfish on the fly. So as, as Mark had said, uh, close uh, to the carp as far as the type of fishing that you do. So that ought to be interesting. And John has fished for redfish for over 20 years and has guided other fly fishers for them for the past 10 years. John has researched redfish in great detail and will share his secrets on catching the big ones on our next show. We'd like to thank the R.L. Winston Rod Company. Uh, we'd like to thank women fly fishers in Alaska. And uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. Don't forget to visit our website at askaboutflyfishing.com. And make sure you're signed up to receive our announcements so you don't miss out on any of our future broadcasts. And feel free to explore the other areas of our site, like the events calendar and the directories, and a couple of new areas that we've just added, which are newly released books on fly fishing and newly released DVDs on fly fishing. So we're going to try to get those uh, up there as soon as they are released and so that you'll be the first to know about those. So check that out. It's on our homepage. That's it, everybody. Good night, everyone, and good fishing.